Welcome to our fourth week in March this summer. If you guys remember last week, there was an amazing, amazing teaching on the parable of the sower. I'm pretty sure we baptized like a hundred of the 17 people that were here. It was awesome. But last week we were in Mark 4. This week we are going to be in Mark 5 and 6. Um, just a reminder, the way we do things is we uh, skim over a lot of the, uh, the chapters and we land on one spot that we really dig into and make our lesson for tonight. I do have an intro question for tonight, okay? So follow me for a little bit. It's going to be one of those talk among yourselves just for like a minute, two minutes. Um, when was the last time that you had to do a double take, okay? So you know a double take, you're walking and you see something and you go... And you walk, you look back and you're like, what the heck? Yeah, double take. When was the last time you had to do a double take? I'm going to ask for maybe one or two um, after you get done talking. Um, I've got one, so if no one wants to share, that won't be too awkward. But yeah, just uh, talk amongst yourselves for a little bit. Last time you had to do a double take. Finish up those stories. I want to hear one or two. Who's got a really good one? The re- the last double take they had to do. I saw a lot of good stories out there, so I know there's got to be something. I have seen. Oh. I was watching you tell a story. Just uh, double take. What do you guys got? I heard helicopters. I heard Chick-fil-A. Okay, so I was driving, <laughs> was driving back from the optometrist. Now that I think about it, my eyes may have been dilated. So maybe, this, uh, maybe I was, this, this could all be completely fake. So I'm driving back from the optometrist, and I have to. I'm going down a highway to do this, and uh, this is back near Muskogee. And uh, OG&E, the power plant, is over on the left side. So I think maybe it's connected to that, but I don't know. But I'm driving, and I think I see at first a kite up above the highway. Um, and, and so I look, and then as I get closer, I look back up and I'm like, that's not a kite. That's like flying by itself. And so I thought maybe it was a remote control airplane or whatever with something tied to it. And then as I get closer, right as I'm coming under, I look up and it's a helicopter flying over the highway with the rope tied down to it and, 
and hanging on the rope is a big long metal grid thing or whatever. And then hanging on the metal grid is a dude, like holding on to this thing <laughs> as it's driving by. And I don't know if he's flying OG&E, I don't know if it was like a James Bond thing going on or what, but that's, yep, that's what I saw. Man, I don't know flying OG&E is, but I do not want to fly that. Anyone else? Any other good stories that we want to share? Alright, I got one, okay? So, this actually happened right here. I was walking from my apartment right over here, the Yellow Rock, Yellowstone, Yellow Rock, I don't know. And I was walking to the table, and it was during the week of, uh, what is that thing called? Uh, calf fry, okay? So I see this truck full of guys that are dressed in like the, like you know they just went to American Eagle and like bought some, fl like whatever, plaid, and, and I don't know where you get the cowboy hats, but you know they have never worn them in their life, okay? And so I look over, I'm like, okay, calf fry. And I, I come back. And then I'm like, wait a second. I look back, and one of those guys, I can't actually say the word, so I'm just going to give you the reference, was wearing, you know, the chaps, you know, the, you know, the, but the buttless chaps, you know? He was wearing that, and he was wearing it to calf fry, and his naked butt was hanging out over the tailgate. He drove all the way through Stillwater. Yeah. <laughs> Only in Stillwater. Yeah. You're welcome for that. Um, let's pray. Let's pray for us. And let's pray for... Let's just pray for the sunburn that guy had. I mean, seriously. Anyway, let's pray. Dearly Father, it is such an honor to be here. It is such an honor to be preaching your word to your people. I ask that you would be with us tonight. I ask that you would help the, uh, the lessons and the words that you've given us. Um, I ask that you'd help us form us and inform us and form us. Um, God, creating us the type of hearts to be the type of people that you are looking for to take your gospel forward. We love you, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Okay, guys, so we're coming straight out of Mark 4 with the parable of the sower. Um, and I'm just going to have you hold your Bible up, okay? So... Today we're going to be going over, we have, sorry, Mark 4, we have Jesus Calms the Storm down here, and it is linked to four miracles that are all through five in that, la that first paragraph of six, okay? So all of those are linked together, and then in chapter six, we have the, f the second, after that first, that first paragraph, we have the first two the next two stories, it's uh, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles and the death of John the Baptist. And then we're going to finish on Jesus feeding the 5,000. So we have our survey hats on, and let's get going. If you remember, in Mark 4, there was four back-to-back -back parables, all about the kingdom of God. We ended with the parable of the sower. And then Mark transitions into four back-to-back -back miracle stories. And honestly, they're kind of cool, okay? Like, I wanted to, like, make some kind of, like, mythological comparison, but I felt like that would be, like, more harmful than good. But, like, think, like, think heroic, okay? Because there's no other way to describe these kind of things. The first one is at the end of chapter 4, Jesus calms the storm. So he is in a, uh, he's in a, in a boat with his disciples, 
and they the storm comes and they are so scared that they think they're about to die and Jesus is asleep. Okay? I don't know what was going on. Jesus is asleep. Um, part, some commentators are like, okay, this is kind of a Jonah story. You can take that if you want. Jonah is also asleep. They threw Jonah out and I don't know. Some people say that. I don't know. Um, what is cool though, and I do want to pay attention to, is Jesus wakes up and he commands the chaotic ocean and the storms like they're his servant. He just says, he just gets up and says, be quiet. Like, it, like it's a person, like it, it serves him. And it does. So, one of the questions that we have that we're continuing to ask in Mark, in this section of Mark, is who is this man? Everyone's saying these different things. A part of this is like, who is this man that can just tell the storms what to do? Then, the next miracle Mark records is over a demoniac. Jesus goes out of Israel into Gentile territory, and he meets this guy who is kind of like a zombie. I know it's kind of weird to say, but uh, he would have been associated with the dead. He stayed in the tombs. Um, It says that he is filled with a legion, which is thousands, maybe 3,000, maybe 7,000, of demonic spirits, okay? Jesus encounters this man and defeats this, this army of evil spirits that are against the kingdom by a word. Like they just they just show up and he says, get out of there. And they do. Will you send us into the pigs? And he's like, alright, go ahead. Single-handedly defeats this army of evil spirits. Who is this man? Then from there, the Jesus goes back into Israel. And this is like this is actually one of my favorite moments in scripture. I wish we could uh, spend more time on it. Hopefully you can just reflect on it later. A synagogue leader named Jairus comes up to him. Who and his daughter is sick. She's 12 years old and she's sick. That might be a symbolic number. I don't know. You can take it if you want. Um, she's sick, so Jesus is, is starting to go over and, and he's going to go heal her. And while he is going, there is this woman who has been sick for 12 years with some kind of internal hemorrhage. And it says that no one, like for 12 years, she's been seeking to be healed by doctors and no one can even. They don't know what to do. And so she's kind of eternally un- unclean in the eyes of the, uh, in society. And here's the cool part with Jesus. Jesus cures her by accident. This complete, completely incurable disease. No one knows what to do. She just reaches out with faith and touches him and she's cured. Who is this man that has power over diseases, that he cures them without even meaning to. It's a beautiful story. While he is on, while he is restoring the woman um, in public, he calls her out and he wants to show that she is now clean again, that she can be a part of the, the community. Um, the little girl actually dies. And so this, the synagogue leader, uh, a servant comes and said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. And Jesus goes, and he commands the dead to life. It's a beautiful moment. He just goes in there and says, little girl, I say to you, get up. Wow. Four back-to-back stories illustrating the amazing, I'm just going to say it, omnipotent power of this man. If you remember at the beginning of Mark, okay, 
So Matthew and Luke and, and them, they give you kind of an introduction into who Jesus is. He is the son of Mary. He is born um, by the Holy Spirit. Mark just, just jumps straight in. He's like, John the Baptist and Jesus. And so as readers, we'd be like, whoa, who is this man that can do all these miraculous things? And then it gets, it gets into some of the irony that Mark loves, okay? Look at the next paragraph, the beginning of chapter 6. Jesus just did all of these amazing things, and then he is rejected in his own town. Like it says, they took offense at him. I'll go ahead and show it to you. Verse, uh, into verse 3. They took offense at him. And this is one of the, the few moments in, in Mark where Jesus is amazed. He says, he went, he said, and he marveled because of their unbelief. So the irony, after all these things, and then he gets to his own hometown, to his own tribe of people, and they reject him. It reminds me of two things from last week. Um, one is the parable. You remember the, the parable of the seeds. Um, there's three types of soil, and only one of those accepts him, and they produce the fruit that he's looking for. The second thing it reminds me of is the fact that Jesus was just rejected by his family. Okay, they thought he was crazy. And now he's getting rejected by his tribe, and the next big one, the people who should have accepted him, is his nation. And that's coming up soon. Moving on to the second story. Um, Jesus sends out his 12 apostles. So if you remember the, the 12 apostles, they're kind of the new symbolic Israel. He sends them out dirt poor. Okay, He doesn't even give them a... a he's like, you, you only get one shirt. Okay, You can't even wear two shirts. You're, poor, you're broke. Okay, Apparently that might be um, because... They, he, Jesus wanted them to be completely, um, completely dependent on hospitality of the people. So he's going to go to different places, and if they accept his ministry, then they'll stay with him, whoever accepts him. If not, he'll shake the dust off their feet. He sends them out, uh, let's just see, verse 7 and on. Sends them out poverty, and going with his authority to preach his kingdom, preaching the kingdom, and to cast out demons. And this is the second ironic moment in Mark, okay? While Jesus, the true king of Israel, with his symbolic Israel, is out in completely broke and preaching the kingdom of God, we have King Herod in verse 14. Okay, so Herod hears of this, and this is kind of a, a refrain. Remember the, the who is this man? Some say, uh, let's just see, verse 15, some say he's Elijah, some say he's a prophet. Um, Herod hears this, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's John the Baptist. And then it goes into this really weird story that gets weirder the more you sit and think about it, okay? So this is kind of, and it's even weirder because it has allusions to the Old Testament. Herod apparently wanted to marry the... He, he wanted to marry his brother's sister, his, sorry, his brother's wife. Um, so he took his brother's wife, and he's married to her. And John the Baptist says, no, like, that's not cool. You, you can't do that. Um, as a prophet would have done, I don't know. Um, Herod gets mad and imprisons John the Baptist. And then 
he throws a party for his military commanders. It doesn't actually say it. You can go ahead and look. Um, we're in first uh, about 21 and on. It doesn't actually say it, but the last time there was a party like this is in Queen is in Esther. Um, and King, I think it's one of the Xerxes, Xerxes or Artaxerxes, I don't know. You can look it up later if you'd like. Um, he's throwing a party, they get super drunk, and he tries to parade his wife in front of them with just her crown on. Okay, so we kind of have that in their background. Okay, kind of weird. And this is in Israel now. Um, his newly stolen wife's daughter comes and dances dances, okay, doesn't actually say it, but, and pleases them, okay, I'm going to let your imaginations say what is probably happening there, and Herod promises her anything he wants, she wants, he says, pleases him so much that you can have half my kingdom, okay, and this, it gets even weirder, she goes back to her mom, comes back and asks for the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter, like, what? This is weird, guys. Weird story. There's no way around it. The only other time that this is... So this is kind of the irony. Um, in the Old Testament, the closest thing that this comes to is Ahab and Jezebel with the first Elijah. Or my... I'm pretty sure it's Elijah. I should have looked that up. Elijah? Yeah. It scared me for a second. The first Elijah and Jezebel. Jezebel is married, it's uh, a not, not a marriage that God approves of, and she tries to institute Baal worship, and she kills off all of the prophets of Israel, okay? That is happening again, while Jesus is out in the wilderness, King Herod is inside killing the prophets of God. Just a weird story, guys. I almost wanted to preach on this, um, just because it kind of just hit me as I was going as I was going through the studies, um, I just, and I do want, I just want to sit here for a second. The beginning of Mark opens up with Malachi, so Malachi um, made a prophecy about the coming Elijah, and so there is this expectation that the people of God had for over four hundred years. They were they'd sit and they're watching for Elijah to come. And this Elijah was supposed to bring in the way for the Lord. You can, you can look back at Mark 1 if you want. Um, Elijah was going to come. He was going to make way for the Lord. And there was going to be the kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness established. And it was going to be good. Elijah comes and he's killed by the king of Israel. Just imagine that. Like Later at Mark 9, it's gonna say, Jesus is going to say, no, that actually was Elijah. In case you're wondering, okay. Spoiler alert, it was Elijah, and he dies. Crazy. It's crazy how expectations work like that. Especially, I just, I can't help but wonder, being in those days, like hoping for the kingdom of God, and seeing that this is what you got. Just a heads up, this is exactly what happens with Jesus. I'll show you that it, this, this is a foreshadowing. Just as what happens to John with Herod is going to be what happens with Jesus and with Pilate. And then we get to our text. And I'm just going to keep on the skimming mode. Okay? Jesus brings his apostles back. His apostles come back to him. And he goes on a little bit of a leadership retreat. It's 
like I'm like I'm gonna come and we're gonna restore you. You've been out for a while. Come rest with me. While he's going, the people like they they, they somehow find him in this desolate place and they flock to him. And in verse 34, and this is one of the beautiful passages in Scripture, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. He saw the crowds, and instead of being angry because he was trying to avoid the crowds, it's like they're like sheep without a shepherd, and he taught them, and then he feeds them. Okay? They're in this deserted place. The disciples are like, send them away. And Jesus is like, you feed them. And they're like, can't, we can't feed them. Like, I, ain't got, I don't have the money. You know, we don't have the money or supplies. And Jesus is like, I know you can't feed them. And then he takes the loaves and the fish. You know the story. For those of you that grew up in church, he breaks the loaves, gives thanks, and he feeds the people. And then, I promise you we're almost done with skimming mode. Okay. Then he goes onto a mountain and sends his disciples off. And while he's praying on the mountain, let's just read from here on verse 48. And he, sorry, let me say, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. We're going to come back to that later. And now I want, to, I want to read verse 52 for you, okay? They see this, they see Jesus, and it says, And they were utterly astounded, and this is where you got to look, verse 52, For they did not understand about the loaves. Okay? They were utterly astounded because they saw him and they were terrified. And yet Mark says that they're terrified because they didn't understand something about the previous miracle. I thought, honestly, when I, was, when I was going through this, I thought it was pretty straightforward. You know, Jesus feeds the people. But somehow Mark thinks it's so important that the first miracle is understood that it reflects on this one. So I want to do what is called a divine double take. Okay? We, we passed the miracle... We're going on, and I want to come back to this moment, okay? We're gonna, I want you to discuss among yourselves for a little bit, to walk through that miracle again and see what we missed. The disciples missed something. Did we miss something? Okay? So group up, maybe in the same groups that you were talking the stories, and just go through that miracle again, looking for what is happening and why is it important to the next story, okay? What and why? You guys got it? Cool. I'll give you about five minutes. Yeah. Looking back at the 5,000. Why? What is happening that's important? And why is it important to the next miracle? You guys got it? Just skim through it. I trust you guys.
For those podcasters that are listening, I thank you for being with us for this five-minute break. I have a little little thought experiment for you while we're waiting. It's coming from Brother Bo Corbin in Salt Lake City. The question that Bo Corbin sent in was a, was a great question. He said he wanted to know, out of all the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who would win in a foot race? Now, at first, I, I thought this was an easy answer. Like, come on, Bo. It's obviously the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because it says, it's written down in history, in scripture, that John can beat Peter in the foot race. Okay? So, if it's a straight foot race, I'm going to bet on John. But, as I was praying and wrestling through this, it came to me that I believe, actually, Mark might have a pretty good chance of beating the Apostle John in a foot race. And it comes to this. In Mark, I think, chapter 16, it's, there's a man who runs away from the garden naked. Okay, so we know that he's got some pretty good speed to get away from a group of soldiers. And if he's naked, he's even faster. Um, and because we believe that Mark, church, church, church tradition has handed down that the apostle, not the apostle, um, Mark, the gospel writer Mark, is under the tutelage of Peter. Um, Peter is the authority of Mark. That would make, that would give Mark that little bit of edge that he needs to, uh, to get some vengeance on the apostle John. So just to summarize, I think Mark would win, but only if he's naked. If it's a naked race, Mark wins every time. If not, it is up to the Lord to decide. All right, guys, maybe one more minute. One more minute. All right, guys, that short minute is over. What did we miss when we were going over this miracle the first time? Who's willing to share some of the things? Maybe just one or two. 
with y'all being bashful. What do we miss? Right. Luke, what you got? Right. Yeah, Andy. Andy, then Luke. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, my bad. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I was just going to say, we seem, there seems to be a theme of like him passing by at first. Okay. Where he says they feel bad for him, and they're like, sheep without a shepherd. And then when he's on the water, he walks past them. And so it seems like himself, he like almost does a double take to like go and okay. people instead of just like immediately going. Okay. So you're saying that the second miracle is somehow related to him being a shepherd. And as he's passing by them, you're, you're keeping the shepherd theme. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I like it. Luke, what you got, brother? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're saying that um, the they needed to focus on him with them. That that was the. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I like that there's no surprise that God can do these things. I like that. You got something? Okay. Mm-hmm. One more. Let's go one more. Let's hear from this group. You guys should... Okay, so you're saying that this miracle has something to do, it's not just like, it, it's not just like another prophet, it has something to do with Jesus as Messiah. Okay, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Turn to Numbers 27. I'm going to take you to two Old Testament passages. Numbers 27, verse 17. These are the last words of Moses. Okay? Moses is about to die, and he's about to pass on his ministry to Joshua. And 27, verse 17 says this. Uh, where's the sentence starts? Okay. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep without a shepherd. Okay? Moses' last words are a prayer that God would provide his people with some kind of a shepherd. And God does. He fulfills that, like right there. Like Joshua is an immediate fulfillment of that. Um, Just a little bit of one of those, like, nuances that you should pay attention to. Um, Jesus, the, the name Jesus is actually comes from the same derivative of Joshua. So Joshua fulfills that shepherd. Jesus fulfills that shepherd. 
but I really like how um, Josh, I'm just going to say yours at the very end. I, I really like how you pointed out, like, this isn't just another miracle. Like, we just had our, our four miracles in a row. Um, I think that this is Mark picking up exactly where Moses left off. Okay, the expectation that was fulfilled. And it says something more than just Jesus is another prophet or Jesus is Messiah. If you remember, for those in the Exodus account, Moses actually isn't the one that provided food for the people in the wilderness. It was God. God provided bread. Miraculous bread in places that no one else could provide. God provided a way. And then, I think just to, to illustrate this point a little bit more, the next miracle, no, sorry, the next, yeah, the next miracle that goes into is full of Exodus-type language. Okay? Let's look at them for a second. Jesus is walking on the surface of the water. The first place that your mind jumps to is those poetic-type places, where like, uh, like Job, like Job 9. Job 9 says, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. God alone walks on the waters. But there is a psalm that says the same thing, and he says that, the psalmist says that, in relation to the Exodus account. He says, your path, Psalm 77, verse 19, says, Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. And then verse 20, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The Exodus account is God, is described as God taking his people and shepherding them through while he is walking on the waters. And then, if this isn't enough for you, I've got, I've got at least two more for you. Okay? Exodus 32. Jesus was going to pass by them. Kind of a, a phrase that is taken straight from Exodus 32, where God hides Moses in the rocks. He says, I'm going to cause my glory to pass in front of you. Jesus passes by his disciples. He was intending to pass them by. And then, if that wasn't enough for you, Exodus 3. Jesus tells him, take heart. The words he uses is, I am. The divine name that is used in Exodus 3, that Yahweh says, like, what is your name? He says, I am. Jesus uses that divine name for himself, right there. This miracle is not just, it's not just another person. Jesus I think this is one of the most explicit, one of the most explicit times so far where Mark is telling us this is God. This is God with us. Okay? This is God with us, and this is fulfilling a promise long ago. I want you guys to start turning to Ezekiel 34. So, a little bit of, I'm going to give you a little bit of interpretation background just to give you some methods as you're thinking through these things. Whenever you see some place used in the New Testament, you go back to the Old Testament and you see what kind of expectation was fulfilled or was, was created. 
So in, in Numbers 27, we have Moses saying, God, give them a shepherd like, like me, like you've made me. So there's some kind of expectation that God's going to provide a shepherd for his people. And then, once you have that point, you move on later in the Old Testament and you see how it's developed. And this is that moment in Ezekiel 34. I'm going to read a lot of it, so just pay attention for a little bit. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I think you'll see why. Verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not bound, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, and they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search for them. And then he goes to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And just to make the point explicitly clear, verse 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. This passage is God fulfilling the promise. So you hear in Scripture a lot of places, God says, I'm going to be a shepherd. I'm going to shepherd my people. And then these places that that you thought were poetry, were poetic depictions of God, I'm going to be like a shepherd to them, are fulfilled in Mark as literal events. Jesus came, God incarnate, and He shepherded His people. Verse 34, he said he saw them and he had compassion on them and he fed them. Just like Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What you thought was poetry, God intended to be exactly what he was going to be. This is who God is. And this is what I want us to take from this passage. Okay, Mark explicitly defines Jesus as God. He uses Exodus language. Repeats the story. Feeds them. He is the sheep. He is the one who has come to shepherd. He is God incarnate shepherding His people. And let's look at who, what God, how God describes Himself. He says that He is the one that searches for the lost, brings back the strays, binds up the injured, and strengthens the weak. This is why 
that as we are a part of the discipleship, as we are calling you discipleship, we're really calling you to grow up into godly maturity, to grow up into the type of person that God wants you to, to let the roots of the gospel grow deep and produce in you, so that you can do exactly what God was critiquing the people for not doing. You can fulfill the compassion, that you can seek after the lost and strengthen the weak and always, always, always be pointing people to look back at God again. Who is God? He's the good shepherd. Like it says in John 10, Jesus, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. That is who Jesus is and that is who you are called to be too. Still the same thing. I am done with the lesson, but I have two final things, okay? Two little pieces of homework that I'm going to ask you to do. Very, well, one's very specific, one's kind of generic, but I'm going to allow your creativity to fulfill it. The first one I'm going to ask you to do is I ask you to go read Ezekiel 34 again tonight, Okay? Ten verses if you want. You don't have to read the whole thing. Your homework, read Ezekiel 34 again and let God and just let that sink in of what God is saying to those people then, and how He is fulfilling that and calling you to the same thing. The second homework I'm asking you to do is to find some way to embody those characteristics of God that we see embodied in Mark. That you would go and find out and you would try to embody to seek the lost, to strengthen the weak and to point others to God again. Okay? Let's pray and we'll be done. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the ability to come out here and to sweat a lot and to wrestle with what your word is, um, to learn all the ways that you've connected um, your story, Jesus, to the story that's always been happening. Um, God, I ask that you would give us hearts that are like yours, hearts that, are, that can only be compared to shepherds, God, that we would continue to seek out people, that we would try to strengthen them where they are weak, and that we would go and find the lost. God, I ask that you would give us hearts that are always trying to point people back to you, to look back at you and to see that you are who you define yourself to be in Ezekiel 34 and places like Psalm 23. God, help us see you clearly and help us show others the same thing. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen.